Welcome to the Author Blurb Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard. So, I want to make sure you're aware before the show even starts, there were some technical difficulties that I had. I'm not completely sure what happened, but the volume got lost. This is the first and one of the few rare times that I've cut out a big chunk of the show. The only reason that I'm mentioning this is because you might either hear or see a skip or something that doesn't make sense. The reason that everything got cut out was, like I said, the sound during the communication got lost. So I do apologize. I hope the rest of the interview and everything sounds good to you and looks good if you're watching the show. But most of all, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Amy. It was quite interesting as always. These authors, I can't tell you how amazing they are. And I just, I wish I could read all their books. But sadly enough, I don't have enough time to do that. But you might find that author, if it is Amy, if it's an author that we've had on previously, or an author coming up, there's plenty of authors that we have that you should be able to find somebody that you want to read their books. At least that's the goal of this show. So with that being said, again, I apologize for any gaps or any weirdness that you might hear or see during the show. I think I've gotten this figured out. Hopefully we don't have this happen again. But other than that, enjoy the show. Remember, authorblurb.com. If this is your first time listening, you can go to authorblurb.com to listen to other episodes. Find stories and articles that were written, even like the article that Amy wrote that's on the website. You can also find the different features, different things, and be able to contact me because the things I do love to see is either five-star ratings. Of course, everybody loves to see five-star ratings. Reviews telling me how great I am and how much you love listening to me. And I enjoy emails telling me what you like and what you don't like. I love hearing from you one way or another. With that being said, I also love hearing that you're telling people about me. The more people that know about the show, the better I can do, the more I can grow it, and the more I can give to you. With that being said, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the show, and I'll talk to you shortly. So I am here with Amy, and we're discussing her books that she had coming out this summer, and or this year, actually. Amy, with, instead of me going through and discussing all the different books you have coming out, because we were discussing a little bit before we started. Can you tell everybody a bit about you and a bit about your book so that they get a good understanding of who you are and what books you have out? Sure. First, let me thank you for having me on. I'm really delighted to be here and doing this with you, and I appreciate that you take the time to uh, to speak with authors about their work. It's much appreciated. Uh, so I refer to myself as a multi-genre author because I just refuse to pick a lane as a writer. <laughs> so I have so much fun deciding on the story that I want to write, and then I just decide on the best way to tell that story. And each time I write in a new genre, I discover so much um, about why it's fun to write that kind of book. So, for example, uh, this month, June, um, the Wild Rose Press brought out my time-traveling paranormal archaeology romance called <laughs> The Nighthawkers. And I call this a great starter book for someone who's romance curious, meaning you might think, oh, romance, you know, I really don't think, I don't think I want to read that. 
But really, it's not just all sort of mushy, lovey-dovey stuff. There's a real story here. There's science. There's artifacts and archaeology and going on digs. And there's a villain and there are twists. And uh, people, uh, readers seem to be having a lot of, a lot of fun with it. And that is 180 degrees from the very dark mystery thriller that is coming out from Regal House Publishing in August called The Potrero Complex. And that's a much sort of darker look at a post-pandemic world, but not exactly like ours, um, set in the near future, a bit different, uh, a bit different from where we are today. So I'm, I'm happy to go into more of about all that, but that that's a nutshell. Yeah, let, well, let's start off with the Nighthawkers. And that sounds like it's a mouthful in itself just going through the category. What is the story? Like, who's involved in it? What's happening? How does it start off? Right. Can you give us some insight on that? Of course. Uh, the Nighthawkers is about an archaeologist who must choose between her handsome first lover and the irresistible stranger who helps her discover a powerful destiny. But what I'd like to say is that it's really a story about feeling lost and learning that you can't choose the right partner for you until you know yourself. So it really is a story of sort of self-discovery. Okay. Now, can you tell me a bit about who the main characters are, who's all involved in this story? Sure. And I'm not going to give away everything. That's fine. <laughs> it starts it starts out with uh our our heroine and protagonist, um, Pauline, who uh is graduating um with a master's in archaeology and uh she finally, just as they're graduating, she finally notices uh the the best looking guy in their class, um, who is uh named Gray. And um let's just say that they fall hard and fast for one another. And uh, Gray is intent on getting as rich as possible, as fast as possible. And Pauline is like, huh, well, you know, all right, you know, that's, that seems okay. It's not what I've been thinking about, but hey. So they, uh, they engage in something called nighthawking, which is a real thing. So in England, for real now, in England, it's a real problem because England has so many ancient heritage sites because of the Roman occupation and all those centuries and centuries of, of civilizations. So right. people go out, people go out at night with metal detectors on private lands and they try and discover and dig up artifacts like precious Roman coins and anything that they can find. And this is incredibly illegal and because it's considered part of the national heritage. And so this is like whole nefarious thing that goes on with people that do all this night hawking. I love the term and the idea so much. So I have my main characters doing a lot of night hawking, um, which is terrible. Um, but they have a lot of fun doing it. And they uncover some really amazing artifacts. And at the heart of the book, there's some real magic and mystery because um, Pauline has some abilities that she doesn't understand uh, in herself. She can find any artifact anywhere in the world from any era at any time without digging for it. Um, but that's a secret that she keeps to herself. And uh, it, it's part of her, her journey of self-discovery as to where those abilities come from. Okay. So how did you end up getting into writing that story? I mean, it sounds like it's a... Uh... It has a lot of moving pieces, a lot of thought be had to go into making it. What got you started in uh, choosing that story in itself? Well, a couple of different things. Um, I had written a book before that that had a had some archaeology as a minor 
minor plot. It wasn't the subject of the whole book. And I've always been fascinated by that. I have a master's in anthropology, which is not the same as archaeology, but I just love sort of ancient things. Um, it's very um, romantic and interesting to me. And because I did some research for that other book in archaeology, I just thought, I am not done with this. So when I set out to write The Nighthawkers, I gave myself permission to do a lot of research, which I loved. I have a background as a journalist anyway, so I love the research and the digging, and I love bringing factual stuff into my fiction. And when you read The Nighthawkers, you won't be able to tell what's real and what I made up. <laughs> well, that sounds quite interesting. So with that being said, why did you choose like that whole category section? Or did it just come along when you started writing it? I'm sorry, what do you mean by category section? So like the genre that you have. Mm -hmm. So you have it as just a wide range of genres that it's fitting into, where you said you're a multi-genre writer. What did you choose the genre or did it just happen as you wrote it? Did Is it planned out or do you do what most people call or refer to as being a discovery writer? Or pantsing. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely set out to make this one. The Nighthawkers is a romance. Now, what that what that means is that if you really are going to fit the romance genre, there's some rules you have to follow. You have mm -hmm. to have a happily ending, have happily ever after ending or happily for now. Um, I did find a happily ever after ending and, you know, there ha and the relationship between the main characters has to be key to the book and that there has to be a romantic relationship, but I, I'm going to make everything my own. So I've got some twists in there um, that you won't find in every romance, but I met, you know, the main conventions of the, of the genre so that it definitely is um, a romance novel. Okay. And when did you, this book just came out, if I'm not mistaken, you said just came out this month in June when this, when we were interviewing them. Yes, it came out the first week of June and I'm getting a lot of really, really uh, good reviews. I'm happy about that, but you know, I'm, I am so interested in finding more readers, um, again, including those who may consider themselves sort of romance curious. It's a great way to, to, um, uh, touch on that genre um, if it's not one that you've that you've looked at before. And if you have, I think a lot of romance um, readers, especially those who like paranormal romance, will enjoy it. Okay. So now is Nighthawkers going to be a standalone or are you going to make that into a series? It It is a standalone for now. I know series are so popular, but um, mm -hmm. my, my brain is just always on to the next thing. And um, so for at least for now, it's not a planned series. <laughs> All right. Makes sense. So let's move on to your next book that's coming out in August, I think we discussed. Can you tell me a bit about that one? Sure. So this is called The Potrero Complex. And a potrero is like a, a paddock or a pasture or a natural um, enclosure. And it's really um, not, it's not literal. It's kind of a metaphor for the, for the story. Um, about life sometimes feeling like it's closing in. So this one, now that we're talking about genre, it is a mystery. It's a mystery thriller. There, you know on page one that there's a mystery that the main character, Rags Goldner, a journalist, has to solve. Um, so what this is about is it's really about a, traumati a traumatized journalist who's trying to start fresh. 
only to get caught up in finding out why teenagers are disappearing from the small town that she has just moved to. And in this book, um, I do take you um, through the mystery and you do you do learn um, what the, the mystery at the end. I mean, what it's about. But along the way, honestly, this book asks a lot of questions about who wins and who loses when society sometimes decides that feeling safe might be more important than protecting people's rights. So I don't want to say that it's out and out um, political, but it does ask a lot of questions um, that kind of have a social uh, nature to them. Okay. And so with that being said, what got you started? Because everyone likes to know where the stories stem from. What made you decide to write this book and use these themes in your book? I started writing this really early in the pandemic, like in I, I looked up my notes and I think my notes started in March of 2020, which is, of course, when COVID started. And I think what I tried to do is I didn't want to write a book, quote unquote, about COVID or about what we're living through. But I wanted to look to the near future, like five to 10 years down the road and imagine the way some things might be different. And I'm really surprised that when I look at what I put in the book, I actually anticipated um, problems in the job market, problems with um, shortages, um, and kind of things things of that nature, and even uh, some of the um, the uh, the the civil and political unrest that we've seen. I put some of that in the book uh, before any of this was really happening, and I won't don't want to say that I'm some amazing fortune teller. I think I was just imagining what could happen, and some of those things are happening. <laughs> so it's it's not that I'm it's not that I'm a futurist or a fortune teller. It's that I um, just thought about some things that might come that might happen or might come true, or what could happen in a world that's been devastated by a, a pandemic. And those are some of the things that that occurred to me. I also set the Potrero complex in a small, mostly in a small town, because I think. In a small town, you can have a lot of things going on at once on a on a scale that you can manage. You know, like in a really, really big sprawling city, you can't sort of touch and see and feel everything that's happening. And in a small town, I could make it very concentrated because almost everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. And so this, a lot of the story really unfolds in this town where people have known each other for a long time. I, th- I think that's my, I made a choice like that. Makes sense. And I from coming from a small town, I can tell you it's one of those things that literally if anything happens, everyone's involved, everyone knows. So that makes perfect sense to me. So where is this set at? What small town? Is it a real one? Did you make one up? Right. So I live and work in Baltimore, Maryland, and Baltimore is in every one of my books in one form or another. Just to backtrack for a moment, in the Nighthawkers, the real Baltimore is in the story, but then there's also this like shimmery, otherworldly representation of Baltimore that's part of a different world where pa- Pauline, the protagonist, um, travels to. So it kind of plays both a real role and a magical role. In the Potrero complex, um, the characters were living and working in Baltimore because I know it so well. I, I made up a few details, like I invented a Trader Joe's where one doesn't exist because I, I want it to be there for real, so I pretended that it was. <laughs> but okay. but they leave they leave the city because there's a lot of really bad stuff going down 
af- as the as the city and as the world is coming out of the, a, a pandemic worse than ours, and they think they can start fresh and be less traumatized in a small town. So they stay in Maryland, but they go to this small town in sort of the north uh, west corner of the state. And so I made the town up completely. But it's true that the western side of Maryland and the northwestern side of Maryland is fairly rural with a lot of small towns. Oh, yeah. I've I've been to that that area of Maryland, and I know Maryland fairly well. So I'm down here in Virginia myself, and I used to work in Baltimore when I first moved to the DMV. So, and for anyone that doesn't know, DMV is the District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia. Virginia. I was thinking of Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, but it's D.C., Maryland, Virginia, right? (laughs) Right. So it's... I've been in this area, I want to say, for a little over 10 years now. So I've gotten quite familiar with it. But with that, I know that outside of the main areas wrapped around D.C. and Baltimore, outside of those areas, everything is very rural, very quiet, small town kind of feels. And a lot of them is very nice looking. So did you take any elements of those small towns or did you just come up with what you felt would be right for them? That's an interesting question because while I've never lived in a small town, I've spent a lot of time in Vermont and Vermont, with a couple of exceptions, Vermont is made up of small towns. Mm -hmm. So I've gotten a lot of feel for small towns from all the, the time that I've spent over decades in Vermont. And I took elements of what that feels like and married it to some of the areas of western and more rural Maryland where I've actually been. And at one point, it's important, um, one of the main characters spends some time in the woods where this is where archaeology comes back in, where he is digging illegally for artifacts. This is this is the subplot that got me to write the Night- Nighthawkers, so I wrote the Potrero Complex first. Okay. And I actually was looking up like the right species of trees that grow specifically in that part of the state because I lo- you know, I really like to get those details right because you never know a reader could be reading that book and go, that kind of pine tree never grows there. It doesn't grow there. I don't believe a thing in this book. So if you can get those little things right, people will believe you on the bigger stuff. I, I hope. <laughs> Understand. And it is, they always say the devil's in the details. So, so with that, you wrote the Potero Complex first, but the Nighthawkers came out first, correct? Correct. How'd that end up happening? Because they're with two different publishers. Not an, mm-hmm. They didn't go through an agent. They went with two different publishers. And one publisher just has a faster schedule than the other. It's that simple. Okay. I didn't know if there was a reasoning behind it or what might have you. So... It's always interesting. So do you have other books coming out? Because I believe we discussed you had a third book ready to come out or is scheduled to come out after the Potero Complex. That's true. Uh, In um, late September, um, a book called Dreams of Song Times will come out. And, you know, here I am skipping around genres again, because that really is um, an urban fantasy more for um, a young adult audience, I would say mid to late teens, maybe early 20s. Mm-hmm. And that one is wild because it's about um, uh, uh, a, a young girl who's, well, I call it an explosive fantasy of love, loss, and redemption about a mermaid full of secrets on the run and ready to risk everything for a future she never saw coming. All right. So, Go into a little bit more of that. I mean, 
what what is the actual story starting off? Where is that taking place? What is it that's going to be driving people to go for that book? So Dreams of Song Times is about um, a young girl who grows into a young woman, but she's half mermaid and half human. But I stayed away from a lot of the what we you would think of as the conventions and tropes about mermaids and kind of made up my my own version of a mermaid. So she really comes from um, a culture that's been that's really ancient, but that's been dying out. So they've got seek their own language. They've got secret rituals and things of this nature. And so this book is doing a couple things. On the one hand, you really are rooting for this girl. Um, to kind of find herself and figure things out and feel like she has a place in a world where she doesn't quite belong um, because she keeps her identity um, quite hidden um, because her people have been hunted down. So it's a story like that on the one hand. And on the other hand, I really wanted to write a book that could call out to any reader who feels like they don't fit or they're, you know, they feel like they're the other or they feel like they're just different from everyone and what it really means to find yourself. And when I talk about Dreams of Song Times, I think you can hear there's some connections with the Nighthawkers because in that book, Pauline is also really feeling lost and looking to find herself. So even though I do write in these different genres, I do write about some really similar things and similar themes. And I really want to help readers sort of connect and connect with themselves and feel feel empowered um, and feel like they can be who they are. And so um, in Dreams of Song Times, um, Elle is, um, gets into a lot of trouble um, because um, her, her ancient culture, the mermaid side of her, is being uh, hunted. Uh, to the brink of extinction, and she has to find a way um, to create a life for herself uh, where she can be safe and thrive. And a whole lot else happens, and I don't want to give it all away. <laughs> Understandable. So I imagine this has taken place along the ocean. So is there a specific area that it's taken place in, or do you just have as an ocean, as a general, an ocean sit town or something like that as a generalist? As a matter of fact, she, she grows up in Baltimore, big surprise, um, uh, and um, she, she, she really learns to swim in a lake with her, with her, with her parents before things um, just, let, shall we say, go south. Uh, and she ends up making a very important escape along um, a river in New England that takes her out to the Atlantic Ocean, where she swims a very, 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 very long way. So water is a factor. But it's something that she kind of arrives at a bit later in her adventure um, as an escape route. All right. So it's not a mermaid story that is based on the ocean to start with. It's they start off on land like humans, you and I, everybody else does. And then she discovers later on or is this something she knows from the very beginning? Her parents are teaching her who she is and where she comes from a little bit in the beginning as a child, you know, it's, it's really like, um, you know how maybe when you're growing up and like, you just, you get these little bits and pieces of your grandparents and maybe traditions from other cultures or from maybe they came, came from another country and you get bits and pieces of it. And sometimes as a kid, you don't care. And other times your family makes it a really big deal and it's really important. So she gets a little bit of both, a little bit of, uh, both of that. But, um, 
because um, something happens to her parents, um, that education, that part of her education is cut off prematurely. I understand. Now, did you use any, like any other ancient cultures, anything from the past to make up their history and cultures of the mermaid society? You said they have a very mysterious culture to begin with. Do you explore any of that or no? It's a real combination, and that's a great question. There's a, I made up a lot, but again, I try to make it extremely believable for you. Um, there's some recurring words from their ancient language, and you become familiar with those, and names are, are different. Um, but And there are um, some cultural habits and practices that I completely made up. However, I also did take a, a look at how real cultures throughout time um, especially especially um, Europe and the Middle Ages, how they viewed um, the mermaid. And of course, the, the, the uh, myths go way back to, to Roman and Greek times as well. I did look into a lot of that, and I brought little bits and pieces uh, into it, but it's not, it's not rooted in that specifically or exclusively. I understand. So what got you to start this book, of all things, then? Because this sounds like a much different altogether area to be going down. Yes. Um, I wanted to challenge myself to write outside of what I thought of as my comfort zone. Um, I really wanted to write, I really wanted to try to create, um, to play with fantasy and magical realism. And, you know, there's bits and pieces of that maybe in each of the books, but this one pushed it the, the most. And you know, it's incredibly difficult when you're building a world, even though I call this an um, an urban fantasy because that genre tends to speak to it's in a contemporary setting with, you know, in the real world, but with magical stuff going on. And mm -hmm. that is very, definitely what's happening in this book. Um, and it, it was a real challenge to make all those things fit. And of course, again, you know, you want to earn the reader's trust and confidence, you want them to take that ride and completely believe in it. I understand. So with all that being said, what initially got you into writing? I mean, a lot, I know a lot of people have always said, oh, I'm going to write a book and they get a paragraph in and they're like, well, there's that. Or I can't tell you after I put out my first book, second and third, I get messages. I have a great idea for a book. I'll sell you the idea. You can write it. So you always have people with great ideas, people that want to write a book and they get a little bit in. Writing a book does take a lot of dedication, a lot of, for most people that I've spoken with, a lot of emotional on different levels to get through it. And that's just writing. That doesn't include the editing and everything else that goes through it. What got you to sit there and say, okay, after the, you wrote the first book or you decided to write the first book, you realize how much of a pain it prob you probably had to go through to get it. And then you said, you know, I enjoy all this suffering. Let's do it again. What was your experience? What got you to do this? Well, you're right. I mean, there there is there is suffering of, of a sort, isn't there? And I think people who write books and really finish them are just driven to do that thing, to live with, to live with that story, to figure it out, to get through the problems, to keep going. And, you know, in the middle of all my books, I would get to a point and be like, I just don't know if I can finish this. I don't know if I've really figured it out. I think it's all falling apart. And I just push myself to pass that and through that. I think it's a bit of a mystery why 
those of us who do it, do it. And I think it's just, we just are motivated. I don't know how else to put it because we could do other things with our time, but that's one of the things we do with our time. And, uh, you know, it's just, I just didn't want to go through my life without writing books. I guess it's that simple. I understand. So after all that, do you plan on continuously writing? Do you have a goal of what you want to get done? Or is this, you want to write until the last day or how, what is your outlook for it? Yeah. Yes. Um, my outlook is to keep writing, um, to keep exploring genres or possibly to return to genres I've already written in. I haven't decided that yet. I'm working on something new that's so slow. I can't talk about it yet. Um, it's more like literary fiction, um, meaning it's sort of more an exploration, exploration of characters and um, it's atmospheric, although there's absolutely a story and a plot, but it's not like a clear genre. Like it's definitely not a romance. It's not a mystery. It's not a horror book, horror. It's not all those other things. It's not sci-fi. It's not um, whatever else you want to think of. Um, but yes, my goal is to just keep at it. And, you know, uh, writers face a tremendous amount of rejection and setbacks and, um, you know, people will always tell you what's wrong with your stuff. (laughs) And, you know, you, you just have to set that aside and keep going. It just has to matter to you enough that you want to just keep at it. I understand. So what is it that drives you to actually write these? I'm just built that way. I I mean, I earned my living for a long, long, long time as a writer in the professional nonfiction world. I was a journalist. I was a speechwriter. I was a communications director. I've always worked with words. Heck, mm-hmm. I was an English major in college. I mean, it's the only thing I ever really loved and thought. That I always tell people I'm only good at one thing, and it's really putting words on paper. I can't really <laughs> do much else. Um, so it's just it's just how I'm made. I don't I can't think of another way to describe it. Well, it sounds like it's just a natural feature to you. With all that being said, it's a natural feature, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we all have our gifts, and we all have the things that we do naturally. Exactly. So the good thing is, is you figured out what yours is. So with that being said, what else? I mean, you have two books out. You have another one or you have one book out. You have one book coming in the end of this year in August and one in September. Are the two that's written, are they in the midst or the, I don't know why I can't get out what I'm trying to say. The two books that are coming out at towards the end of the year, have those already been written or do you still have work to do with them? So, okay, so just to recap, the Nighthawkers is out for sale uh, right. on all the, in all the usual places. The Portero Complex, it will be out in August. It's it's all, all, all done. It's on pre-sale now, available again in all the kind of the usual places. Uh-huh. And Dreams of Song Times is also done, and I'm just, that one's just waiting for its September launch. So it's all, everything's totally, totally done and dusted. And uh, I, I love the covers on my books, too, which is a fun thing. So... Did you get to pick out your covers or did you let them do it? The publishers pick the covers on, um, uh, well, they ask for input and they right. really, they really listen. And so for, for um, the Nighthawkers, they really asked for input and I told them the kinds of things I liked and didn't like. And they just came back with a beautiful atmospheric cover that sort of sets the mood for the whole book. So that's terrific. Um, Because it's time traveler and time travel and mysterious, and that's all there on the cover, at least Mm -hmm. a hint of that. And for the Potrero complex, they took an element right out of the story, and the cover 
reflects what happens in the in the story. So it's really cool. And you don't may not know what to look at it, but once you read the book and then you look at the cover, you're like, oh, oh, I get it. I like that. I like that. All right. Yeah, I always do enjoy the stories when you're reading it and you see the cover and you're like, now it makes sense. Now I yeah. see why the cover's this way. Yeah. So with that being said, I'm not going to take up too much of your time. I know that we've worked quite a bit on some technical difficulties as well. So with that being said, I'm going to let you go because I have another meeting as well. And I imagine you have a busy schedule today. So can you tell people where they should be able to find you, where you prefer? Because I have all your information that you've given me on authorblurb.com where people can go to your website, read a little bit about you on my site. And once the show and is there, they can find all the places to listen to the show or even watch it. Where do you like people to go find you? Well, I would love people to go check out my website at amywrites.live, just A-M-Y-W-R-I-T-E-S dot live. And if you sign up for my um, uh, newsletter, which is extremely easy to do, first of all, you don't you won't get anything from me very often, I promise. Um, but you subscribers um, do have access to a free literary gift um, when they when they sign up there. So amywrites.live is the place to go to find out about all the books and how to get them and everything else. And then there is another thing, if I'm not mistaken, on your website, you do also offer, is it book coaching or a coaching service as well on there? Yes, I'm a certified nonfiction book coach. And there is a little bit about that on my website. I have a completely separate website for that business, but you can learn a little bit about it if you're interested. And that's where I help authors who are writing nonfiction find their best path to publishing and I help them um, find their way uh, through structuring a book and creating an, a proposal um, to bring to the to the publishing marketplace. All right, perfect. So with that, I appreciate your time very much. And this is going to be the end of the conversation for everybody else listening or watching the episode. And then you and I are going to talk a little bit. I do appreciate you being on. If you can hold on for me for a second, I would just end the recording for everybody else. Thanks so much. Thank you. So you've heard the show. You heard Amy and I discuss her books, the different reasons that she's written it, where she gets her inspiration, all these. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope that everything that I was able to discuss with her answers a lot of your questions and we get to get all that information that you want to know and why you should buy her book. With that being said, I appreciate you being I do apologize. I can't apologize enough, obviously, for the fact of there was technical difficulties. I feel bad about it, but there's nothing I can do at this point. Other than that, I hope you enjoyed it. I want you to remember authorblurb.com. Right there, you can find everything about the show you need. You can find where else the show is streaming, where the videos are. You can find articles written by other authors, profiles of the authors and prior authors that's been on. Even upcoming authors are listed there. So I want you to enjoy as much of this and get as much out of this as you possibly can. Because, again, this is all about connecting readers and authors to be able to find that story that the readers just can't get enough of. And obviously, the readers are you. So that's why I want you to enjoy this as much as I can. Thank you. As always, leave me a review. Send me an email. Let me know how I'm doing. Things like that really does help me. And I enjoy hearing from you. So 
you have a good day and I'll look forward to having you join me on the next episode where I talk with another author that hopefully entertains you quite a bit. So thank you and have a good day.